You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, but the reason why, um, why uh, God describes in his scriptures, you know, the church is a body, not a business, is because there's lots of parts. And um, I think uh, house church, I've been a part of house church before, and obviously small groups is something that we try to do continually here is kind of the backbeat and the heart of really uh, here at City Lights. Um, nothing replaces the nations, the generations, the gifts, the awkward, quirky people, the weak and the strong coming together because it's a body, not a business. And uh, everything in our world and our flesh is tugging away. Can we do this alone? Can we figure out how to do this in my living room and do this by myself? And I think the scriptures, the spirit, life circumstances will continually uh, wash on us, hopefully, um, through the Spirit to continue to remind us um, we're, 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 we're built together, that a church is, is a group of, of, uh, of many different um, colors and nationalities and gifts and stories and backgrounds um, that come together in the, in the name of Jesus. Um, I'm going to um, uh, share from kind of an article this morning. We're going to have communion, and at the end of the day, just um, you guys remember on February 4th, we're kind of listening. You guys can email elders at citylights.cc, and we kind of want to land on unity and clarity by the fourth, that we feel good about kind of what we're sharing today. But I'll have you invite, invite you guys to open up to Acts chapter 2 as we just kind of um, get into sharing um, a little bit about what, what's kind of ahead at City Lights. Um, there, was a, there was an article uh, a few months back that really got stuck in my Apple notes. I would go back to it every now and again to read and reread it because it just kind of stuck with me. Uh, it's a guy, it was in the Atlantic by a guy named Jacob Mader. And uh, the title of the article was uh, Misunderstood Reasons Millions of Americans Stop Going to Church. And so uh, he quotes all the statistics. You could look at it with the eye test. You could read it. You could go on barnagroups.com. Um, apparently, in the last 10 years, it's been um, 40 million people have left the church, American church. Not in other places like China or persecuted church in the Middle East. Just locally in the American church, out of 400 million uh, people, you know, 40 million, uh, it's actually under 400 million, uh, 40 million represents about 12% of, um, of uh, the church has just kind of walked away. Uh, 60% of uh, people that leave the church um, to go to college when they're 18 years old, 60% will not return uh, to church after they leave youth group. And, uh, and 60% even in Greenville, South Carolina, which is the Bible belt, uh, the buckle of the Bible belt, some would say, um, 60% of the people will not um, darken the doors of the church just based on a, on a a bland uh, all-call invitation that a personal neighbor would have to knock on the door and invite them to church. People weren't going to just come to church, you know, for no reason. And so he calls this the great de-churching. There's been a statistical uh, phenomenon, epidemic, that, uh, that um, churches, at least numerically in America, are growing smaller, not bigger, and they're growing more distant rather than, than close. And uh, he did, you know, a survey of like 7,000 um, uh, different churches within, within North America and the United States, and uh, found that the reason for the de-churching, the great de-churching of America, is actually not what, what people think. Um, I think a lot of times when we think about uh, the narrative surrounding people leaving church, we think of um, things like toxic leadership. We think of things like, oh, people were spiritually abused in church, or they went through a uh, spiritually traumatic environment, and so they just um, you know, emotionally, spiritually kind of hit a bandwidth, hit, hit, a, hit a, a ceiling, and had to, had to uh, deconstruct and leave. Uh, some people think it's because science and modern technology has kind of moved on without uh, the church, and so people can't really contend with philosophical or scientific differences about evolution or whatever. Some people think that it's about ethics. People think that it's about the histories of you know, the church and 
why the church has been misrepresented, which it has been, and all these things are very relevant, but the, really the, the crux of the statistical analysis of why people are, are leaving the church um, is not so much people leaving the church because they're busy, but because, or excuse me, but because they're bitter. People are not leaving the church because of reasons of emotional, uh, relational, intellectual bitterness, but rather just because they're too busy. That um, there's uh, some anecdotal stories in this article, if you want to read it. It's just like, the girl got saved in the megachurch. Um, she got married to somebody that wasn't quite as fervent in their devotion for Jesus. They had a few kids. They had a few sleepless nights. They can't get up for church in the morning. And so, like, days turns into weeks, and weeks turns into months. And so it's not that the lady was bitter with the church. She just got really busy. She just got really um, occupied with other things. Um, there's another one uh, that just talks about this guy. He shared his testimony or whatever. And, you know, he went to a job and began to... Uh, find a lot of success and, and, um, and upward mobility within the job. And so 40 hours turn to 50 and 60 hours into 70. And so when it comes down to my only Sunday, when I'm just exhausted, you know, um, and, and we're told that the Sabbath is about rest, like church is not rest to me. So it's just like, I'm not bitter about it. I'm just, I'm just too busy. I'd rather go to brunch is really the reason why. And so he describes, obviously, lots of different various reasons why people stop going to church. But he describes really the, the, the drop-off of church is less so walking off a cliff um, whereby you, you hit some cataclysmic event and then you fall on your face. It's more of just slipping down a slope, like sliding down a slope, where the average person goes to church about 1.5 times, and then sooner or later, the question like, where have you been, stops being about encouragement, starts feeling like criticism. And, uh, and so then the, the, the detour just becomes, I just would rather not. The seesaw kind of weighs out a certain way. And so churches themselves as organizations, I'll just say that, of course, we're told that churches are people. But when we talk about just the cultural term of church, churches can perpetuate this uh, because in the effort to reduce uh, spiritual life um, down to something that is attainable, containable for the average American busy life, uh, how many know if, if you take a steering wheel off of a bike and the spokes off of the bike, at some point you take things off the bike, it stops becoming a bike. You can't reduce the thing down to something just as its essence is no longer what a bike is. So here's the quote um, about the problem, and then I'll read what he <clears throat> views as the solution. Uh, contemporary American um, church, or excuse me, contemporary America, he says, simply isn't set up for, uh, promote, to promote mutual care or common life. Rather, it's designed to maximize individualized accomplishments as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own personal life, professional life, uh, as one ages the professional prospects, or as one ages the professional prospects of, one children, of one's children. In other words, one of the things that the article was talking about is it's really not just church, it's also just like community in general. It's about like going to classes at the gym, or it's about book clubs, or it's about people just sort of committing to things that don't like directly impact individualistic pursuits. Those are all falling off. Like not just church, but communi- communalness in America has, has, uh, has declined. Workism reigns in America, he says, um, and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that just doesn't add up. <clears throat> and so the church can perpetuate this by reducing something, a bike is no longer a bike if you take too many things out of it, to, to become sort of a nonprofit NGO, whereby there's goods and services that are given uh, to individualized people, and we sell something short of what it really is, and when we're surprised when it doesn't deliver what we say it will deliver. Um, in other words, people come to, to Sundays basically for three reasons. Uh, because there is uh, something about being a collective group and hearing from a speaker that is inspiring. Uh, people come to church on Sundays because they want to be inspired. 
People come to church because they want practical tips of how to solve the problems that they have in their life, and they'll gauge the success of that morning based on whether or not that's fulfilled, or they'll come for some emotional experience. <clears throat> People will come to, to sort of, for lack of better words, uh, engage in a spiritual high to leave something with, with, with encouragement for the week. And yet, after week after week, 52 weeks a year, of maybe going 1.5 times a year, uh, the nation and the church, uh, according to little statistics, is more lonely than ever. Are we surprised? More lonely than ever, more anxious than ever, and more uncertain than ever. With all of the capital resources, how much spiritual bankruptcy can go on. And he says, because, you know, in a sense, churches, in biblically speaking, experientially, cannot slide down the slippery slopes because churches are not events or programs. Church, from Bible school, is not events or programs. Church is people and meaningful relationships. Uh, the, the digital Babylon book that talks about our screens and, and where you know, the, the youth of tomorrow is going in terms of church. Um, uh, the one thing that makes or breaks a church, an individual, a neighborhood, a city... Um, is really whether, to the degree and whether or not that youth or a person um, in, in, in their spiritual walk will, will gather five or more meaningful relationships um, that are uh, close enough to care, close enough to share, and close enough to dare. So here's the quote that he offers as a solution. What is more needed in our time than ever before is a community, not a business, not a commodity, not a consumer and entertainment engagement, but a community close enough to care, close enough to share, close enough to dare. A community marked by sincere love, sharing what they have, which sounds very biblical to me in Acts chapter 2, sharing what they have from each other according to their ability and to each other according to their need. Eating together regularly. I mean, this is not even just church. Just the chess club should do this, right? This would, this would benefit American society, but leave it to the Bible to already have the answer before we run into the problem <clears throat> is what we're called to do in Ecclesia, which is real church giving according to need, eating together regularly, generously serving neighbors, even in obscurity, even when it's not on the spotlight, living lives of quiet virtue and prayer. A healthy church can be a safety net in a harsh American economy by offering its members material assistance in times of needs. Meals after a baby is born, money for rent after a layoff. Perhaps more important, it reminds people that their identity is not in their job or how much money they make. They are children of God, loved and protected and infinitely valuable. And so, um, you know, what is it? Why do, why do churches have vision statements? Isn't that just for Burger King or McDonald's? Or, you know, why do we have to have Mission or Vision Sunday? And, um, and, and, and the reason why um, sometimes it's important to pull back, we, we were continually 52 weeks a year in ministry. It's, it's important sometimes when you pull back and you get up on Table Rock and you get a perspective that you can't see when you're down working in ministry to pull back and look at what we're doing on ministry. How are we working on ministry um, as a church? And so what this article is saying, I think what, my, what your and my probably heart speaks to us on a conviction level, and what this, the scripture is saying is that church is not a building, church is not a program, church is people. And the health of that church is, is not measured by the budget or the amount of people that are sitting in a seat on Sunday, but by the quality of the relationships. Uh, last week, um, I, you know, I was so excited. It seems like uh, uh, every week I'm hearing of more great pregnancies, and I'm super excited about that. And even one of them, beat, they get pregnant, and then they come into the earth. And so that's really cool, too. And so there was a couple, and I was like, oh, man, we got to get the deacons, and we're excited about doing you know, meal trains and getting this family you know, support and so forth. And so as I was walking out, without the meal train, without the Google Doc, without any kind of like precipitous actions or planning from the whiteboard, I just see this family walking out the door with, with diapers, <laughs> with a box of diapers. Uh, and we're going to hopefully support them through care and, and deacon stuff, but I think that he's saying that's what the world is missing. 
That's what the world is needing. That's what's going to make or break us is, is not whether or not we have programs or budgets, but whether or not that is happening. There's been, you know, all sorts of turbulence in this church, just like everyone else. People have lives. They have peaks and valleys, and they have heartaches and sicknesses and, and cancer and, and pregnancy and job loss. And, and so uh, it's, it's the stories that I'll hear that, again, they're not predicated by small groups or by some event that we have as a fellowship. It's people just inviting people over to their house for dinner during hard times. That's what the church is, is what he's saying. The article and the scripture are saying that. There are situations that um, there are things that will help brothers and sisters that in the Bible are likened to sheep, keep them from running off of cliffs, hurting themselves and hurting others that can't happen in sermons, have to happen in dinner tables. And I hear stories like that happen all the time at City Lights where people love each other. Nowadays, community is, is, is the vision for that in our culture is the people that just accept me and just let me do whatever I want. Biblically speaking, and maybe even historically speaking, it was that, but it's also bringing the best out of me. And if people are in our lives and they actually are a community, it's not just a permission to fall apart from the hinges, but to call us off the cliff and call us back to Jesus when that's required. And so these are the types of things, these are the types of conversations, maybe not just the amount of people that are gathered in a room singing at one time that measure what I think this guy is talking about, you know, when it comes to church. So why do you need a mission statement? Why do you need a vision statement? Listen, this is the reality is that you don't need a vision Sunday um, in the big C church because the vision is very clear. Make disciples. If you're going to a church that is not making disciples, then it's not a church. Okay, McDonald's, uh, Arby's, what, like, like Chick-fil-A, they're there to sell food. So we all understand what we're doing here. So what's the point of having a vision inside of the Great Commission? And the point is, is that in the Big C Church, globally, we're all making disciples. But our question is not just making disciples. How do we make disciples in Greenville? What does it look like for me in my place and time in a de-churched, hyper-Christianized Christian culture to make disciples where I am. And that's, why, that's what, where the vision statement comes from. We read it every Sunday, but let's, I'll read it one more time on the screen. This is what it says. Uh, we talk about <clears throat> before announcements. The City Lights exists to be followers of Jesus, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Why is, why is this the vision statement, at least, that has resonated with the elders and resonated with the church for, for some odd years? City Lights exists to be followers of Jesus, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to nations. And this is what I come up with, uh, you know, standing here today, um, the beginning of 2024, is because, this is what I believe, is that an increasingly distracted, deconstructed, and divided culture, like you'd ask yourself, if that's the environment that we live in, what would the gospel look like? In an increasingly distracted, destructed, uh, deconstructed, and divided culture, what does it mean to make disciples? I think that the good news of the gospel, in our era and in our time, it just looks like devotion. It looks like a devoted, not a consumer church, not a, um, a slick, clean church, not a, a, a program machine church. It is like the world is aching and looking for and missing and, and won't be satisfied, I believe, until it sees a, fan, until it sees a devoted church. Until it sees uh, a commitment of, I love, because I love my Jesus, because I love my, my neighbors, because I love my family, this is how I live. And so um, I'm going to key in on that, that word devoted with all the different ministry plans uh, you know, for the year and, and it's pretty much the word that we used, I think, last year, right? But, um, but devotion is not ambition. Like I, you know, me and Kyra, we were married. We were high school sweethearts. We were married at 21. Had no idea what we were saying yes to. Just idiots, you know what I mean? Saying I do at 21, now I'm, you know, 40. So we're going on 20 years of marriage, you know? And um, like, it's, 
it's hard to tell the difference sometimes between what is religion and what is relationship. Because the thing about it is relationship does the same thing too. Like we think about religion means, oh, I'm checking the boxes and I'm doing the same things. I'm saying the prayers. It's like you could have two people in the same place at the same time doing the same thing with different motives. And the difference between legalists and lovers are devoted. Legalists and lovers both, both do the same thing per, 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 perpetually and make consistent decisions day in and day out, right? But the thing about, uh, um, the thing about devotion is, is that I'm doing something because I cherish it, because I love it, not because I'm, um, um, I'm earning my salvation in some sort of a way. And, and so, um, anyways, this is, uh, this is the three different topics that I want to talk about um, that's on the screen there for the 2024 you know, ministry plan is um, what are we doing about family, what are we doing about uh, neighbors, and what are we doing about nations? Um, let me read, and let me just read our, our passage just um, over the morning as well. So Acts 2, um, and Holy Spirit, I just pray um, that you would um, do the part that we can't do in this. I pray, God, that you would um, uh, purify our hearts, that we would see you. Um, I do believe that um, whether it's, you know, Mark in the parable of, of the seed and the sower, there is the love of money, there's the worries of the world, there's so many distractions to keep us from our first loves. But I do pray that you would make us a devoted people. In verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I don't know why, but every time I read this passage for the last five years, I just I see this picture of, this, of the Holy Spirit and the church dancing. And there's something beautiful, mother-daughter dance or wedding dance. It's like the steps are in such contingency, you can't really tell where one stops and one starts. That's the point, I think, of Acts chapter 2, is, is it's a dance between the Spirit so, and the church, so much so you can't tell is the church doing that or is God doing that? Because there's such an indiscriminate line. Everyone was filled with awe. This is the Spirit. Everyone's filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to one another who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. And just as they were devoted, you know, to bread, word, and prayer uh, is kind of what I'll be speaking about today a little bit. But, um, but there was wonders and numbers and needs. The dance of this church in the Spirit brought about um, what God wouldn't do and what the church couldn't do on their own. God refuses to move without the church, and, and the church cannot move without God. And there is a dance, a devotional dance that just says, I'm not doing this because it's expedient. I'm doing this because I love you. I love my Jesus, and I love my family, and I love my people, and I'm devoting my life to that. It's not about success. It, it is not about outcome. It is about devotion. Uh, it's what I read in Acts chapter 2. So, a um, couple of thoughts on City Lights. Um, uh, right now, um, uh, City Lights is, is non-denominational, non-denominational church. We just celebrated our 10th birthday. We used to start in the theater. There's the, 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 the theater days, and then there's the Sweetbriar days. And uh, we started in 2012 with a young college ministry of the average age of about 22, 400 kids from all different sides of Greenville. And now some of them are still here. Uh, and, um, and we're just kind of married and grown up and having kids now. Uh, but we, we have been and, and are a pretty young church. On Planning Center, um, 
uh, the average age of at least the visitors of all the work cards and the, and the membership and the connect cards that come into the church, the average age of the church is between 26 and 35. On the membership role, I'm actually the 15th oldest person in the church. So I'm super proud of that, and I feel like I've earned my elder uh, badge pretty well. Um, but uh, apart from all that, there's almost on the dot 200 members that attend the church. Um, and uh, as you guys may be new here on the back rows, um, just maybe... Uh, bear with us as we kind of make our way through family business and just, you know, hear the spirits talking to you about the big C church, let alone the little C city lights church. But 200 members go to the church and you probably stop uh, maybe 250, 275 people at Publix and say, where do you go to church? People say city lights, uh, even if they're not necessarily on the roll members. Um, the number that really um, matters to me that I watch a lot and what I think elders watch a lot as well is that there's 200 people in city lights that are on the city group roster, meaning that if there's 200 members, I don't know if some of them are members or some are not, but there's 200 uh, people that are part of our city groups. Groups are things that meet 7 to 12 people weekly all around Greenville for bread, word, and prayer. And so there's 200 people doing that in 11 different groups. As you can see, the groups are getting pretty full, uh, but not too full, so you can join them too. This will be awesome. Uh, as well as something that um, Greg and Elizabeth have done a great job about as their city group coordinators this year is set up care pastors or care leaders for each of the city group leaders. There's somebody that you can walk alongside, be supported, not lead alone, and not lead empty by having people that care for you. And we've had Really amazing, like better than when I was ever the city group coordinator. Um, testimonies this year of, of typically a leader gets to the point of loneliness and burnout and then they just disappear. But situations where either they've gotten support, they've gotten extra leaders in their group, they've taken seasons off, or someone has come and walked alongside leaders because leading is lonely. And one of the best things I think you could do for a leader is support them and encourage them. So I'm very grateful for all the groups, the group leaders, and the care leaders that Greg and Elizabeth have set up. On top of that, we have little other small groups that are like little people small groups called uh, City Kids, right? Um, we had um, 18 baby dedications, so that's part of a children's ministry growing, at least by generations and, and numbers. But also the kids' ministry, if you can put a couple of uh, photos up. When um, Kristen was sharing some updates uh, this year about kids' ministry, uh, the first uh, Sunday, I think, that she led, which was two and a half years ago uh, over the summer, there was basically like, the elders and the deacons' kids, and they're all like gathered around one table. So I don't know if we have a picture of that. There was basically this picture, I think, somewhere of like 15 kids. Now, on average, some of you guys serve downstairs with kids. There's three different rooms, the little guys, the medium little guys, and the bigger little guys, right? All of those, those rooms are full of averaging about 25, uh, 20 to 25 kids in each one of those rooms. So we're averaging like 50 to 60 kids downstairs a week. So uh, pray for the fire um, code down there and also for the city, city group leaders. Um, a couple of uh, photos. Uh, Marisa, if you just want to sprawl through as we speed through some of these groups, but um, I interviewed some of the groups, uh, this group leaders um, before this Sunday. Uh, the Spence Young Professional Group uh, um, talked about um, just the, the different mile markers of life, of going through marriage and miscarriages and babies and support and going on ski trips. Uh, they knew each other since like college ministry. They were like young professionals, and so they still have more fun than all the other city groups. So sorry if you, uh, you missed that boat. They were grandfathered in. So they go skiing and have a good time. One of my favorites was the Gress Camps. You might see a picture up there. Gress Camps said that one of their favorite events, they had a chicken tenders taster uh, where they went around and got all the different chicken tenders and tasted the different chicken tenders to see if they could guess which restaurant um, that they came from. That was uh, super hilarious to me. I think Kim, uh, Kim's group talked about having a snowman competition with a really funny-looking marshmallow, uh, which I thought was, was fun. Uh, there it is, yeah. Um, the Barnes group, which I really, really love, and I'll get back to this in a minute, um, went out of their way. They made actually roasted coffee beans and sold them to the benefit of mission partners uh, here in this church, which I thought that was super, super awesome. But all that to say, we have a very eclectic, very uh, diverse 
a very intergenerational and intergifted um, sense of community at the church, which I'm really grateful for. And I measure, really, the health and the success of the church more so by groups than what goes on Sunday. Not that Sundays aren't, aren't important. Uh, the youth group continues to meet downstairs, which is volunteer run in the Boosterthon room down there, downstairs in, in, in the room there, and it continues to grow and do well. Um, uh, every time I go down to the kids' ministry, there's incredible teachers with what I call the spirit-filled Mary Poppins spirit down there, um, leading our kids and discipling young people. But all that said, you could, you could see where I'm headed with this, is that um, it's easy to mistake the vision for the vehicle. It's easy to mistake the program for what ministry actually is, um, really, the heartbeat of, of City Lights Church is and always will be um, city groups. If you think about a car, um, the car, I just had my Honda Pilot in 2009. Don't buy a 2009 Honda Pilot. There you go. That was your benefit for the sermon if you just came here for that. Um, because it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful body, color was great. There was a DVD player in it, but if the engine's not working, the car's not going anywhere. And the engine, the engine of every church really is city, is groups is the ability to, to create communities that are close enough to care, close enough to share, and close enough to dare. We need people to call us off the cliff. We need people to offer us the hands and feet of Jesus. We need people to lead us back to Scripture. And the heart of the engine of every church, which is city groups, is the city group leader. And so this is, my, uh, this is the first kind of ministry plan, um, as it is always kind of the, the goal and the bullseye of what we do at City Lights, is in 2024, we're devoted to multiplying, activating, caring for city groups. That shouldn't be a surprise to, to everyone. So in, in, in two Sundays, when, when we all get our phones out and do the affirmation, that's the first thing that comes to mind, is every spring, we get out our membership role. I export it off a planning center, and I go through who's having babies they can't lead, and who lives, you know, this place and that place, so this isn't going to work and that going to work. And, and we go through that list, and we just pray, come Holy Spirit, who are the people that you've called here that have been here for a year or more? Because as Jesus says, you don't pray for the harvest, you pray for the laborers. And where we're going to be in the next year has everything to do with what happens in the next six months when it comes to the people that are tapped on the shoulder for availability and readiness for leadership. And so we're praying for this. We want to see this. I know that Greg is going around um, tapping on shoulders to see who would be willing and able to lead small groups, you know, for the next spring. Um, But this is the engine of the church. This is the heart of the church. And we are praying for new leaders and praying for existing leaders that we continue to go forward because the, the, the pastor math of all this thing is for every 10 people that would be hungry enough, hurting enough, needy enough to realize that they need Jesus and community to come through those doors, every 10 of them is going to need a city group leader. Every single one of them is going to, or every 10 of them is going to need a city group leader. And so that's the first devotion is, is, is aiming at that. All right, let's see how much time I have left here. Secondly, um, we had a lot of really fun uh, events that we had uh, this last year. If you put some of these on the screen, so for example, the serve event that we had, where we went to 18 different serve locations in September. Um, serving lots of nonprofits and, and also praying for the property and doing manual labor and, um, and, and caring. One of the cool ones that I loved was setting up houses for people in transitional housing and putting scriptures and, and cleaning toilets and things like that, getting, getting houses ready for people that are in transition. Um, we had a serve day, um, which was fantastic, and we had about 200 people sign up and show up to that. Um, another event that we had was the, uh, the church picnic, which was probably our biggest event that we've ever had. There was 300 people at this event. So all the people that went 1.5 times a Sunday all came and brought a friend. Uh, and we had five baptisms at that um, event, and it was super awesome. Um, and then lastly, the other event that, that came to mind looking backwards was the Christmas event. Um, we had uh, Dominic Worthen smoking all the pork, which brought about 200 people, and the bounce houses as well to have a, a really great time kind of celebrating volunteers and ending the year off right uh, here at the 25 Sweet Briar. 
I think that practically speaking, we do give 10% of our money out the door to neighbor, neighboring local and global missions. But I think one of the most practical ways that we meet our neighbor and have places of real relational welcome um, for the neighborhood church in ways that maybe people wouldn't come to a Sunday morning is through some of these events. On top of church events, we've also tried to um, uh, plot out and carve out programming and vision for um, something called member events, uh, which, for example, we had a clothing swap within the ladies. We had um, a CYAA summer camp for kids through the Good News Club, you know, meet here at this building where kids could hear the gospel. Um, we, had, uh, we had a poetry night by Darrell Dove and, Kassan, and San um, uh, meeting here in, in this place um, because, and this is why I say events are important for neighbors, um, because when you think about and I'm going to get to this in just a second, the Swamp Robert property, which we would love to, for us to be a future home. Swamp Robert property is a seven-acre property right next to sort of the grocery store. 600,000 people ride their bikes up and down the property all together. It's a beautiful spot. It's going to be a beautiful church if, if, if we ever get there, and it's a seven-day-a-week venue. Um, how many of you guys know um, that with uh, a, a, a bigger real estate and a bigger church home, you're going to, in a good and, a, and in a challenging way, meet more people? And for us, I believe, to meet and fully um, fill out and utilize that space from a building perspective, we're not just going to need a great building, we're going to need built-up people. And we're going to need diversified ministry that is not so much, hey, everybody, we expect you to be Christian and have on the unity scarf and come to the women's event, which is going to be great, but also we're going to have to have people that go down there that practice personal mission according to their passions, we need to have a scalable ministry, a missional ministry. We need to have people that are ready to tutor in Jesus' name and give guitar lessons in Jesus' name and host soccer clubs in Jesus' name and host video game, PG video games, um, at the property. We need to have a missional sense of community, not a tractional, but a missional sense where you and I take responsibility and ownership for the, the gifts, the passions, and the problems that are in my community and solve them on our own. The church will not... The church. At Swamp Rabbit, I don't believe it's going to be solved by a box and people getting into the box. It's going to be solved by people coming alive to their personal mission. Which brings me to the second you know, kind of goal that I would love us to focus on for the years. In 2024, we are devoted to encouraging, equipping, and empowering family members for personal mission. That each and every one of us, maybe we're not called to give a sermon in front of 100 people, but we are called to have a coffee with one person. And the scale, the multiplication by, by multiplication, not addition, of personal mission, if this church is going to fully use that property and not get swallowed by it, swallowed by the, 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 the bullies that we'll, we'll encounter and the, 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 maybe the uh, sway of popular culture, if we're going to be rooted and grounded and actually effective in ministry, then it's not going to be by the black box. It's going to be by individual people carrying their personal mission. So we'll continue to talk about this, but equipping environments are our uh, workshop-level activating environments here at the church on Sunday nights once a month coordinate around our, our core values. It'll be around tables, not around rows, where we're having outside voices specialize on certain things that we walk out of the door, maybe not knowing everything, but having something that I can take home and use tomorrow. And around that, besides that, before and after, there's going to be resources that will continue to build up of, of empowering and equipping and encouraging each of us, because we're all leaders in our own spheres of interest, you know, influence to take our next step because 24 months is a long time to build a building, but it's not a long time to build up people to be ready for that, such a feat. And so each and every person, not everybody's called to lead a sermon. Everybody is called to lead, lead a table. And so the three different topics 
um, that we'll you know, have resources for and, and hopefully rally around as well on Sunday mornings and so forth is, number one, Rick Thomas coming in February 11th for spiritual care, biblical counselor. Number two, Brian Onkin coming in to focus on reading scripture. How do I read scripture for myself and take it home? Uh, if we're going to be the people for that property, we're going to need to know our Bibles. We're going to need to not just echo somebody, but really hear the voice of Jesus through scripture on a daily basis. Brian Onkin. Number three, uh, personal prayer from Hope Church, Andrew Sharp. If you guys ever drove down 385, you guys, they, they're transforming that, that used to be strip club into a church, Hope Church is. And the pastor of that church is a great guy named Andrew uh, Sharp, and uh, he's coming in to talk about personal, personal prayer, intimacy and intercession through conversation with Jesus. And so these are tables and not rows, and they're times to be activated, not just to listen and learn. And something, you know, walk away with something to be activated. Um, uh, because a lot of times, most of this ministry that, that, that the kingdom of heaven is rolling out is not actually in here. It'll be in the parking lot after church, and we want to be ready for that. All right. Um, uh, because we prayed for nations, um, uh, I'll, just, I'll just jump right in here before, before Joey uh, comes up to share on budget. But the third one, and I'll just say it right off the bat, is in 2024, we would, be devo- we would like to be devoted to spiritually, financially, and relationally par- partnering with local and global missions. The slide on the screen, we just always want you guys to be aware that we had four, and we upped it to, I think, three more um, mission partners. Um, and we don't just want to fund them financially, we want to pray for them. And so the committee has gathered even four or five other names to continually shoulder the the, the weight of not just donating money, but praying for and walking with missionaries that are oftentimes forgotten. And so we want to be a church that supports missions. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.